Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Loom. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool relief and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners. Only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L. Because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hi, everybody. My name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, it's Jen Hatmaker. Welcome to the show. This is the For the Love podcast, and we are in the middle of an amazing series called For the Love of Women Who Built It. So we are talking to entrepreneurs and builders and creators and business women, and they're just fascinating and smart and courageous. And that describes my guest today in spades. Um, if you already know her, you are going to love this next hour. So my guest today is Becca Stevens. Becca is an author. She's a speaker. She's a priest. She's a social entrepreneur, and she's the founder and the president of Thistle Farms, um, which you may have heard of already. So um, she's going to tell the whole story. But essentially, Thistle Farms started 21 years ago with a sanctuary house um, offering survivors of sexual exploitation and trafficking, a loving community. And so from there, she built this huge business um, that at this point spans the globe. 
Um, she continues to welcome women in with free residences that provide housing and medical care and therapy and education for two years. And then they earn income through one of four of her social enterprises. So, I mean, fascinating. The global market of Thistle Farms employs over 1,800 women worldwide. And the national network has over 40 sister communities. So Becca's amazing. She's been featured everywhere. New York Times, ABC World News, NPR. Um, She was recently named a 2016 CNN hero. That is like an elite group of world changers right there. Um, She was named a White House champion of change. She's been featured everywhere. She was humanitarian of the year named by the Small Business Council of America. Um, She's, she's, Went to Vanderbilt Divinity School. She's been given two honorary doctorates. So what do we have to do to make that happen? Right? How cool is that? Her her latest book, Love Heals, um, is fabulous and wonderful. I'm going to have the link to all of this on my transcript. But basically, you guys, this is a amazing, stellar human being. And our conversation was so good that I told her right in the middle of it, I started thinking, who can I tell about this conversation? I need to tell somebody what an amazing woman this is and what a great discussion we are having. So anyway, you're going to love it and you're absolutely going to love her. So help me welcome Becca Stevens to the show. Okay. So Becca, 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 Becca (laughs) Stevens, welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here. I love what you do. Love it. That's nice. I love what you do too. This is going to be a mutual admiration society then. Um, I, I know that a lot of my listeners obviously are going to already know who you are and what your work is, but I'm so excited for everybody who doesn't. I'm thrilled that they're about to hear your story and find out about your work and your company. And listen, we're going to make some converts today, lady. Yay. We need it. We need to, we need to convince people to really put their money where they get inspired and where their value is. Yes. I love that. Oh my gosh. Let's just jump right into it. Like this is a a series that I'm really excited about it. We're talking to women who built it. And so, you know, we're talking to women who've built companies and organizations and ministries and amazing spaces where people are thriving and flourishing. And I mean, when we were coming up with a list of who we really wanted to invite, you were at the very top of our list. We, we, you really were, we are watching you with just awe and admiration and really proud of your vision and your execution. And you have truly built something amazing. So uh, we've got a hundred things to talk about. I want to start with the, (laughs) with the Magdalene center. Um, let's, let's start there and then we'll kind of work our way backwards. This is, um, can you sort of tell my listeners, um, what that is and how it sort of, of how it came to be and, and then we'll sort of go backwards and pick our way forward. That sounds perfect. So what that is, is is a sanctuary for women who are survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. So we started, I opened the first house 21 years ago. And it was just saying, I want to do something just outside the systems. I don't want it to feel like a treatment center. I don't want it to be a halfway house. I don't want it to be a shelter. I don't want it to be ordered by the courts. I just want women coming together who are survivors and that can love each other and just have a free place to live and stay there for a couple years and have no authority in the house. It was that simple. And just that I wanted to do it like, you know, where it felt healing and lovely and extravagant. 
Mm, That's amazing. I, um, I love that. I love that vision. It's 21 years old. Golly. So I want to go back to, to that moment. Um, cause you're just, you know, you've built this amazing business and you make these beautiful products and you're also a speaker and a, and a preacher and a real leading voice for social justice. And, and you're pulling human trafficking into the forefront of attention where it belongs. So tell everybody a little bit, when you kind of first got started in this world, um, what did you know? What did you already understand about trafficking? What what brought you into it? What was your front door um, to wanting to love these women? So that's such a great question. And the thing is, I didn't know much at all. And, and, and people were not using back in the day, as I like to call it, people weren't using that term. There was no human trafficking oh, right. term. Right. So this is before all that. I mean, back then you would just say, oh, look, there's a 14-year-old crack whore on the street. Mm. Yeah, Nobody exactly. would say like, why is there a 14-year-old girl walking the streets? Mm. Or they just considered they were homeless or addicts, but they didn't, you didn't realize that people were being, you know, coerced and manipulated right. and addicted and imprisoned at a really young age. That's right. And I didn't know that much, thank God. And, um, I had had a history of sexual abuse when I was a kid and I didn't realize that that was probably where my heart was forged so that when I was meeting women who were on the streets, I was already ordained an Episcopal priest that it was, I had a lot of compassion. Oh yeah. And I didn't know that like, it was partly because my story was tied into theirs and not, not near as dramatic a way and not. You know, I don't like to compare anybody's, um, you know, me too story, but I did think I don't want to do this where it feels like you're warehousing women or you're giving them just such the bare minimum and saying, okay, get better, get better. How do you feel now? You know, embossing them around and stuff. It was like, how about just being nice and saying, what in God's name happened to you? Yes. So human. Um, and so I appreciate that so much because even still, even now where this is a conversation that has much more national and international attention, still so much of the mechanisms to address women and men for that matter, um, coming out of tracking trafficking is so clinical and so sort of state sanctioned and cold. And it just, it lacks human warmth for people who've been so traumatized. I read, I read that you had, you know, sort of an aha moment. So you were with your son, you'd been volunteering at a, at a women's day center and thinking through the systems that were currently in place for women in trouble. So whatever they were, you know, halfway houses, prisons, whatever the systems were and like hungry for change, knowing it needed to change. Um, but getting to that moment where you believed, Oh my gosh, this, this could be my thing. This, I could be a part of this change was like a billboard, right? Can you talk about that for just a sec? Sure. And it's really crazy that we're talking about this because this week, so love heals is our mantra. And the son that I'm going to tell you the story on um, just released a single out there. It just was um, debuted on country music television, CMT, this weekend called Love Heals. Oh, wow. So, I um, know he's, I mean, and Alison Krauss is doing the, uh, doing the song as a duet with him. It's beautiful. Love Heals. So this is, he's now grown up and he is out there in the world 
preaching love too in a beautiful, beautiful way. But what happened was, so my husband at that point was a country music artist. He was out on the road and I was, um, I had my one son and I was pregnant with the second one. Um, eventually we had another one after that too, but this was, I was, it kind of felt like single parenting, but you were married. Yes, I get it. And how old were you at the time? I'd love for everybody to know that too. Don't know. Let me think. I was pregnant, 7, 27, 28, 29. So I was 30. Yeah. Right at 30 years old. And um, I was, you know, working and had these kids. And so I was leaving, um, leaving the place that where I was volunteering and I had my son with me and I was trying to put him in the car. Mm. And do you know how like kids about that age just arch their back? So no matter what, you can't get them in a car seat. (laughs) And they're like... (laughs) just like some sort of weird superpower. Yes. It is. It's like, wow, your back is so strong. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And he was looking up as he was arching his back. And now remind you, I'm pregnant with the other one too. So you're just bent over and not at your best. And he said, mama, why is that lady smiling? Hmm. And I was like, you know, what in the world is he talking about? And look up and where we were was across the street from a strip club called the classic cat. And in front of the strip club, there was this huge billboard. I mean, like 10 feet tall of a woman dressed in a very, very, very tiny, tiny glimpse of a cat suit with a tail and ears. And just she was leaning back and just smiling to beat the band. And it was like when he asked me the question, why is that lady smiling? I thought that is the most innocent question Mm. in the world. And someday he's not going to ask it because it's going to seem completely normal to him. Hmm. that we're, that we dress women up like this, that we buy and sell them as commodities, probably cheaper than you can get a cat. Right. And, um, I just thought I've had this idea in my head forever and I'm doing it. I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for everybody. I want him to know that like we love women and we, we Hmm. honor women and we're going to do our best. So women don't have to dress up in cat suits and smile. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So you've got this dream. You mentioned you'd had it for some time. Um, and it's time to put it into motion. And so, I mean, you're, you're pulling this out of thin air, right? How do you get started? How did you get started? Who did you get started with? Um, what did that look like at the very beginning stages? At the very beginning, it was the part that caught people like off guard was that we are not going to have any authority in the house. The only people living in the house with a key to the house will be women survivors. Mm. So there's no, um, like house mom. No, yeah, none of that stuff. Cause like if authority worked, prisons would work. I knew that. And I knew that if I was coming off the streets or out of jail, the main thing I want is somebody not telling me what to do. Mm, wow. So that was the thing that was hard at the beginning. So my, the board, I, you know, I just started 501c3 and I got a board of friends okay. and my husband, Marcus Hummond, um, you know, he was in, the, he is in the country music world. And there were lots of people who were saying, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. Mm. And so we never had to take any federal or state money. We got, um, wow. The first house was on the street we lived on, so nobody could say not in your backyard. Oh, wow. And because okay. it was two years, we didn't even have to change the codes. It was just a house. Mm-hmm. And we just moved in and did it. It was crazy. It took a couple years to get all the funding and the board of directors and the 501c3. And I was very frustrated for those couple of years. I, you know, I birthed another son and had two kids. And so 
it took a little bit, but when the house opened, it was, um, it was, it was crazy joy. I can't even explain it. It was just like, this is beautiful. We are going to be lavish. We're going to be economical and we are going to change all these stupid myths out there about why women are on the streets and how women recover. We're just going to change. I knew it. The women were so powerful and so ready to be leaders. Tell me about the women that you started with. You started with five, right? Mm -hmm. How did you get connected to them? Well, I had been visiting women in prison. And like I said, I'd met tons of women down the streets. And um, one of the women was a woman named Regina. And Regina now is the National Outreach Director for Thistle Farm. So she and I have been together for 21 years. She, um, she is one of the national outreach directors, meaning that she helps run 47 communities throughout the country now. Wow. I mean, sister organizations that are doing amazing work. And she is, she, she came in just like a powerhouse. She had a cast on her leg. Okay. You know, on average, the women that we serve are first raped between the ages of seven and 11. And they first hit the streets about 14 years old. So she had been on the streets, beaten up, um, and she came in, and one of the first memories I have of Regina is she was dancing with her leg in a cast, just dancing to some music to a radio. Like she was still so hopeful. I yeah, love it. And so full of joy. And it was like, I want to live like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time you just turned on the radio and started dancing? Right. I mean, straight off the streets with a cast on your leg. Right. And that's really powerful. So these girls come in, they've got this beautiful home. You're not lording authority over them or making this a really complicated situation to succeed in. You're making it beautiful and wonderful and warm and welcoming and inviting. And so eventually um, you were able to open up the home for more women, right? And then you started Mm -hmm. a business. Did you know that this was going to come? Was this always a part of your plan to follow it with a business or did it... How did that, how did that start? You know, I think uh, I've always not been afraid of business or starting things. I'm not afraid of it. I didn't have a plan for it, but I didn't, I didn't like, um, I wasn't afraid to like try to raise money or make money or do any of that. And what I realized pretty early on with the women is like, awesome. They are not with old Johns. They're free and they're poor as dirt. We got, you know, and they have felonies on the records. They're never going to find a place to live. They're never going to get a job. So, you know, let's make something really healing and delicious for the body, like really healing, like the best oils, the best balms, the best lotions. Like, I mean, I still, I promise I have not met a woman in 21 years who hasn't been raped. And so to think about like going, let's start a business and you can take care of your body and it will take care of other people's bodies. And we're going to go out onto just, you know, go out to the marketplace, see what your values are worth. You know, what will people pay for a candle that says love? Yeah. <laughs> we found out it's about 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> the going rate is $20 as it turns out. Um, yeah. Tell, it's not talk 15, a little it's bit. not 25 <laughs> <laughs> Talk a little bit about how you named it, um, Thessal Farms, and where that sort of came from. Well, I love everything, but <laughs> yeah. I love flowers too. I love everything they have to teach and how healing and everything is. And 
I noticed that when we were going down to the alleys where the women were walking and sleeping and turning tricks, you would see thistles growing. It was like anywhere that nobody ever did any landscaping, there were thistles growing. And you go to prison and in the chain link fence, there were thistles growing. And people have identified them as a noxious weed. And it kind of reminded me of the story of the women that they've been labeled these noxious weeds and they thrive in these desolate places but they're beautiful and they can survive drought and flood. I mean, deepest taproot and how, you know, I remembered the scripture, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. There's this deep, beautiful purple center that's soft. And that is how we are all made. And so I thought that'd be a great name. And then I just said farms with the idea of growing. We don't actually grow thistles. Right. Right. You make the most beautiful products. And I, I, I cannot love enough what you said about making beautiful and healing products for bodies by bodies who have been harmed. It's so, um, it's so full circle. It's such a, a beautiful ending to a story that started really hard. And, and, you know, I, I've often found in a lot of ways, that sometimes the place of our greatest injury turns out to be the same source of our greatest healing. Um, you know, it's heading, it's turning our car into the curve, um, in the, in the slide where really sometimes we can finally straighten out. And I just, I love that you pressed into that specific space. You could have picked anything, um, to start a business with that is so, um, profound, um, and beautiful. So obviously you start employing women, um, from the Magdalene house, right? That those were your first employees or how, t- tell me how this business started growing because at this point your company supports women survivors all over the world. Can you sort of talk about the progression of, of your company and, and how that looked? Cause that's a complete separate enterprise. I mean, now you are in retail work and you are in spreadsheets. And I mean, this is a business, a huge business actually. Well, I will say this right when you're, when you were talking, I just started thinking about how like, you know, for the hashtag me too, and the life after me too, I was just thinking when you were talking, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish we would um, almost say like, okay, the practice is going to be not to get a t-shirt that says hashtag me too, or (laughs) enough is enough. Like people are going to buy really good, beautiful products for their bodies because we're going to embody it. We're going to, we're not going to be afraid of it. We're not going to be afraid that we're in this body that's both broken. Like you're saying, we're going to steer into it. I love that. Mm, I do too. Listen, everybody listening right now, that's what we're doing. We are going to buy everything that Thistle Farms ever made. And (laughs) that is our own little private resistance. That is our way of saying, no, these bodies are beautiful and they are, um, of God and they are beloved and they are blessed and whoever harmed it, whoever exploited it, whoever took advantage of it is not going to have the final word here. And we can anoint our own bodies. Yes. I love it. I'm I'm so excited about what you just said. I'm now, now I need to get off the phone and start marketing. (laughs) Um, Smoking like a true business woman. No, wait, but when we started... So I'm an Episcopal priest, and I was um, set at St. Augustine's Chapel right on the Vanderbilt campus, this little A-frame. And so we had space, and we could start just 
you know, blending body balm and candles. And so the first four hires were all women, you know, residents. And we said, okay, we can pay for 15 hours a week for, and just raise enough money to buy raw good, raw materials and pay their salaries for the, you know, the first three months. And it's like, if we make, sell any candles, then we'll keep going. If we don't, we won't. And again, this is back before you can major in like social entrepreneurship or anything. This is just old school women sitting around like a sewing bee. And that's really, people have made all this stuff so, so complicated. And I want to be like a peaceful entrepreneur, like really rooted in a justice enterprise that loves women. That's all it is. That's really all it is. And so we just said, started saying, you know, is there any, any chance you would buy a candle and light it and then buy one and give one to a friend? Would you buy one, two body bombs instead of one? Use one for yourself and maybe, you know, tell somebody else about us. And people have been so loving and kind that we kept going. And then finally we got a building and then we opened a cafe and we just slowly by slowly, we made it work. And I think sometimes people get, um, you know, if you really want to grow a business rooted in justice, it's not a quick, it's not a quick run. It is Mm. a slow jog. That's right. I appreciate you saying that because, um, I have a lot of listeners who are smart and capable and they're hungry for justice and they're really good hearted and well-intentioned. And sometimes engaging the work of justice can be really disillusioning um, because there's sort of a shiny narrative that Mm -hmm. we prefer, which Mm -hmm. is it's quick and um, it's tidy. And I mean, as you well know, working with survivors of trafficking is not tidy. It's messy and there's a lot of disappointment built into it and um, two steps forward, one step back. And, and I appreciate your tenacity and, and even just your, I think, I thank you for telling us that, that this is a long road. It's a long mm-hmm. road in the same direction and it's a good road. Um, but I, I see sometimes a tendency, especially in the Christian world, when we sort of push into hard spaces like this, and then it is actually hard, which it's going to be, right. um, there's this tendency to sort of dial it down and over-spiritualize it. Like this must be God telling me no, or this must be a closed door or whatever the things that Christians say, you know, this, this is, this is, I'm getting, I'm not getting a green light anymore. When in fact, the work of justice is hard. It will always be hard. It will never not be hard. Um, and so it requires more tenacity, not less, um, which is exactly what you've done. I mean, 21 years. And I want everybody to remember that you built this before the internet. So, <laughs> I mean, listen, we can just put something on people. Instagram now. I know. And the thing is, is that what I keep thinking too, is that we keep separating everything like, okay, this is our worship. This is our justice work. This is how we um, have our leisure time. And what I, what I'd have to do to kind of stay um, in that space is like the justice work is the worship to offer, to offer these body bombs and candles and this book, Love Heals. That's like an off, that is the offering. That is the worship. And like, if you built, I mean, can you imagine how radical it would be if you 
if you started building shelters like cathedrals. Mm, wow. And how inspiring. Mm. And it wouldn't be exhausting. Not like we have to put all this money and all this effort. And this is just the worship. And now we have to go out and do something else. Mm. Wow. It makes it feel like I have been being pretty faithful in worshiping, even though I hardly you know, know what I believe anymore in words. I can show it to you in a bottle. And like, this is, this is geranium from a woman in Rwanda. This is blended by a woman who came out, out from under a bridge in Nashville, Tennessee. It's on a shelf in Houston, Texas, in the um, Whole Foods, and it's a story. And it's, it's a healing, beautiful story. Um, I just, I could listen to you talk about that all day long. And I think there's something really profound embedded in what you're saying. And it is that, um, everything can be sacred, everything, Mm -hmm. everything, the way that we live our lives, the way that we love one another, um, the way that we spend our money, um, the things that we build and put our time into it's all, it can all just be incredibly holy ground all of it. It's not, it's not compartmentalized like we tend to do. I, your life is such a a testimony to that. Hey guys, quick break from the show. I'm super excited to tell you about our sponsor for the women who built it series. So many thanks goes to none other than a company I love, Ever Eve, co-founded by Megan Tamty, who's also the co-CEO of the company. She was a guest on our podcast just a few months ago. So I'll tell you, for me personally, Ever Eve has been a game changer for my personal style. I know a lot of you can probably relate just between the craziness of schedules in life, like career and kids and social obligations. I wasn't giving much time to my wardrobe and also I'm not that great at it. I need help in that department. And so as a result, I wasn't feeling really good about what I was wearing or how it was fitting or anything. So that is where Every Eve came in. They gave me a ton of encouragement, um, not only to embrace some different looks that pushed me a little bit, um, but also to work with clothes that complement my body um, and sort of my style. Uh, every of you guys has over 85 stores coast to coast, a a super great website, um, and a personal styling box service called Trendsend, which for those of us non-shoppers comes right to your doorstep. (laughs) So listen, everybody is different, but I know for me, having some help in the fashion department gave me a little extra shot of confidence. So you guys, you can check them all out at evereve.com. And once again, Evereve, thank you for sponsoring this amazing series. So you mentioned, um, you know, that you're all of your products carries the phrase love heals. It's the name of your book as well. This is your, this is your mantra. This is, mm-hmm. this is the mantra of your company. And for you, for everybody who comes through your doors for help. Um, I wonder if you would mind talking a little bit, um, because you have a really personal story about abuse and you, you are a living example of love heals. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about your story and your, your history and, and how you managed to not let your experiences just devastate and decimate you, but rather you turned it into something beautiful? Well, I don't mind talking about it at all. And I do feel, um, really, really grateful that 
you know, any time in my life or any time I get to witness it in anybody else's life, when brokenness gets <laughs> transformed into compassion, yes, that's such an amazing thing to see. And that's and like it's, it goes back really, Jen, to what you were saying, like, you know, the places of brokenness become places of strength. So the story is my dad, who was an Episcopal priest, moved my mom. She was 35 and five kids from mm-hmm. Connecticut down to Nashville, Tennessee to start a church. And he was killed by a drunk driver that year. Hmm. And so my mom was 35 years old with five kids. Wow. She were, she was a daycare worker. And so, um, you know, she, God, God bless her is all I can say. I can't imagine. And um, the guy that stepped in to help in the aftermath of my dad's death, um, he was one of the elders in the church and he started sexually abusing me and it began right in the church and not in the sanctuary, but in the fellowship hall adjacent to it. And it went on for several years. I have, um, memories that are, um, scattered throughout that I've pieced together for about three years, which makes you very, very fearful and questionable. And it's like, you really don't even have the words to explain it. Like I can't, it wasn't like I was keeping a secret. I didn't even understand it all. I just knew it was like really awful. And I knew that like that you, you knew stuff that you should never have known how things work without even knowing the words for it. And so, um, in the midst of all that, I don't think it was ever like, as far as I can remember, it was never like a question God. I remember I hated going to church, obviously, but I always felt like I think that um, this wasn't right. This wasn't the right story. This wasn't the story that I wanted or needed for my life. And so it was going to change. And I did. I had um, I had a beautiful mom and um there were lots of folks in the community who I got other lessons from. And so I was messed up in a lot of ways. I mean, even when I started the Magdalene house, you know, I could write a whole book just on my husband going through this journey with me of 30 years of marriage and how he is a healing force in my life. That is unbelievable. Um, But like when we were first married and he would say like, you are like a landmine. Like you touched me wrong and I will go after you. And it was like, I was not well still. I will just say that. And he stuck with me through all that stuff and good counseling. And then just lots of hard work. I think all of that helped, but you know, looking back, you know, it wasn't like I I was sick and then I got better. It's Mm. like in every stage of your life, you're different. Mm. You know, it wasn't in the way that I came to understand myself was like, if I had, um, an injury that I lost my leg, people wouldn't ask me to keep trying to run. Mm, that's right. Or unless, you know, I mean, like in the same way, it'd be like, there's a different way to run now. There's, there's a different, there's different things. And it's like, I was different from it, but I wasn't, um, I was no less loving or hopeful hmm. or energetic. I was just different. Yeah. And so- I was pretty lost. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, of course. So you did, you would say you pressed into the, your healing work as an adult. So you're in your twenties, your thirties, and that's when you're finally sort of taking ownership of that story. And, um, 
and, and doing the work that is required. I, I want to talk about that for a second because I'm, I'm sitting here looking at your book right now. It's so beautiful, Becca. It oh, really is. Thank you. Just thank a, you. It is just gorgeous and you should be so proud of it. I mean, it's really, really wonderful. And it's, the title is Love Heals, obviously. And um, it's a beautiful picture of who you are. And it tells stories of people also like yourself who've transformed their lives. And it's just, it's encouraging and it's inspirational and it's also practical, which I love. Um, I like that you sort of take us by the hand and say, let me show you how to adopt some daily rituals that can bring peace and healing into your life. I mean, it's, it's incredibly useful. So I'm thinking about you, somebody like you who does so much on the, on a daily basis. Um, this has got to be, key to your sanity, even still, I mean, not just the path to your own internal healing, but probably your continued path of health. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of these daily healing rituals and how you learn them and what they mean to you and, um, how you would, you know, teach the rest of us? Sure. I'll tell you mine. If you tell me yours. (laughs) Very good. I asked you first. I will definitely. I'm. I'm happy to. I would just love to know more about yours too, though. That's just my, curiosity. My healing, my healing rituals. Um, I yes, uh, they're small for me. I have in mean, a small handful, I should say. Uh, for me, it's always my really close in community is incredibly healing to me. That is, mm. that's one of my very best tools ever. When I am unwell, when I'm unhealthy, when I'm lost, um, my best friends, my family, um, my mm-hmm. family is my life, and um, my whole entire extended family lives here in Austin. So my parents and all my siblings and Brandon's whole family, and it's just amazing. And um, so I know I need I need them when I am unwell. I um, do well. I do better outside. So if I can just put on a pair of shoes and just go outside and be in the grass and walk around the block and s- have fresh air in my lungs and have sunshine on my face. It's like a magic pill. Mm. Um, uh, just being outside is really healing for me. Less internet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. That's real. Like I, um, I know it, I have to shut it down and shut it out and live and live in my skin in the real world. Um, and music is real healing for me too. Um, and different music at different times. Those are some of, those are some of the ones that I reach for right away that soothe the wild chaotic compass in my heart. How about you? So I actually even, I have three bracelets, these beautiful little beaded bracelets on my wrist. There's three of them. And they remind me of the three things this year that I've been doing every day. So they change over the years, but I have like really, again, like you, simple, simple things that kind of really help me going. I know if I can drink a cup of tea. Okay. What's your favorite? Oh, it's definitely a Moringa tea, a Moringa, uh Moringa tea, because that's made, we help start that company, but I'll drink any kind of herbal or green tea. Yeah. Second one is, is I need to knit. I need to, it's like what puts me in a chair. Uh Like if you tell me I have to sit down and be quiet for 20 minutes, (laughs) you know, it's like, I am not about to waste my time. Okay, right. Give my hands something to do. uh -uh, No, Mm -hmm. but if I knit, I can like, I can breathe, I can chill, I can relax. And then my third one is I have to, it's either walk or yoga, but it's some kind of physical activity that I can do. And if I can get those three things done, 
And it's like, I can show up grateful to work and not fear overwhelmed. And the beautiful thing, and this is for anybody that's building something that's listening on this series, like for me at least, is like every stage when you, when it gets bigger and more complicated, it's not like it's less stressful. Mm. It's Mm. different stresses, but you have to keep being willing to change, to grow with it. It's good. You know, my role has changed in some ways. I'm, I'm, you know, my role is smaller because the company and the community is bigger Hmm. and learning to accept that and say like, okay, I'm still, I'm still, I know what I can do. I know what I'm about. Mm -hmm. I can be grateful and peaceful in this space too, even though it's like, now I can't really like deal with any of the spreadsheets and I can't understand how margins work and it's really bigger than me. And it's like, it's so humbling. Wow. I really appreciate that perspective Um, because there is something, I mean, let's just be honest. There's, there's something wonderful for our, our self-esteem and our ego in the early stages of building because we're so central to it. You know, (laughs) we're leading the charge. We're at, we're at the head of the ship and um, it is, it's humbling And, um, that takes a lot of humility to be able to pass the baton and realize that you have to, you have to pass the baton. Um, and, and the company's growing sort of outside of your control, um, which is amazing. It's what you dream of, but it does feel strange. I don't hear a lot of people admit that that's a strange transition. And I think, and I think we'd have it in our parenting. You know, my kids now are big. Um, and they're amazing and you watch them. But I think what I'm trying to say is that I think it has been these simple daily practices that through all those beautiful and what you want and long for changes that humble you, it keeps you, it's, it, you just, you know, there's nothing worse than, um, anybody that can't change. Mm, That's good. No, you're (laughs) right. It's like, just you're supposed to love the world. That means you have to, no matter if, if you're listening to this and you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, that's true for all of us. And so I think that the, so yeah, the daily practices are a way to keep us at least keep, try to keep us a little bit more honest with ourselves. I like that. I, you know, a lot of ink has been spilled about self-care and women's famous neglect of it. You know, we're just not great at it, but the, but we, we, I think we keep hammering this because it's true. Um, the, some of these really simple practices, everything you said was simple, knitting, mm-hmm. tea, yoga, walking, no, nothing is complicated there, nothing or expensive or out of reach or out of the possibilities, but yet or they new. are or new. You're exactly right. It's not some newfangled thing to do. You to press the right button to finally be well. It's just this consistent practice of nurturing your own soul. And it yeah. matters. It gives us enough gas in the tank. It does. Right. It, it really does allow us to continue to flex and transition, like you mentioned, and change and grow forward and still keep our feet on the ground and our hearts sort of tethered. I think it's also when, when, when you're talking about that, one of the things, again, I've been thinking about in this whole life after me too thing is like people want honest conversation. And I was thinking just the other day, I was like, how are you going to have honest conversation if you're not honest, even with yourself? Yeah. Great point. How are you going to be honest with yourself if you don't really have, you know, that time 
like things that make you feel safe, not like just stress you out, but something that makes you feel healing and safe. It's like, you know what? I do have, you know, several Me Too stories, but I also have places where I've broken relationships and I've done stuff. And that getting honest with yourself, it is so healing and it makes you more compassionate to other people. It sure does. I would love to hear your... I would just love to hear you talk for a minute about the Me Too movement um, since you've brought it up. And um, this is... uh, well, it's, frankly, it's relevant to almost all women. It's certainly relevant to the women you work with, um, and in your industry specifically, and um, with your employees and your partners that you work with. Um, what What's your take on this? What do you What do you think right now about this climate for women? And um, do you find this paving the way for even bigger breakthroughs with the work that you do? Are you able to parlay this, this sort of momentum into leadership as you lead your women? I just want to say that's my favorite word in the English language is parlay. Which it is. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm just trying to impress that you. Is. I'm ding, so ding, glad. Ding, ding, ding. Yay. Gold no, star. I hope it does. I hope that, you know, right now there's so feels like, um, there's a lot of you know, anger, rightly so, right? Yeah. And then there's a lot of pushback that feels angry and mean too. Hmm. And I hope at some point that all of us can get past just the anger to get to deeper places where there's transformation. That's what I hope. Hmm. I like that. And so one of the things we've done for years is, and it's really interesting to me, we run a school for men who are arrested for solicitation. Okay. So we have you know, dudes coming at to the Thistle Farms community um, um, who are assigned by the court and they have to come for mm-hmm. eight hours and they learn about what's the difference between safe and legal sex versus unsafe and illegal sex. What are the ramifications mm-hmm. if you get arrested again? What are da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. But the other thing we do is that there are a couple of women who have been trained as facilitators. They know about, you know, trauma-informed care and resiliency mm-hmm. and they're very, very capable years and years of um, work that they've done. And they come in and they talk to the men about humanizing the women wow, and what that means. And the women um, that teach this talk about that when they first started, how they were ready to go in there and just hate all the Johns, hate them. You were just like everybody else. You thought it was this. This is why it's called a trick. And really it's about abuse and anger and, you know, all this stuff. And they come away saying like, you know, everybody has a story and we have some compassion for the men Hmm. who have done this to us. And it was so humbling to hear them talk about that, that I think that is healing. That is the story of love healing. Like you haven't, you are holding people accountable. You are, you know, um, taking good, making good boundaries and you are taking power in your own life and you control the story. The story doesn't control you and all of those good things. But also there is room for compassion. Mm. That gave me goosebumps. I, I think that that moves one click beyond um, justice, which we d- must demand in this case, into, I mean, true healing for everybody. And I mean, that feels like the highest rung on the ladder. That's the one. That's the one to reach for, where it is not just the oppressed, but the oppressor, mm-hmm. um, who gets to find freedom and healing. And I, um, I'm really moved by that and, and, and inspired by it because you're right. There is, there's so much anger 
again, rightly so, around this conversation um, that I think we're probably stopping short of the full potential um, for transformation here. Um, I totally agree with you. And I wish there were ways that we could, you know, again, it's so scary to even think about a platform where you can have that kind kind of conversation around compassion with me too. Because you don't want to ever say it's sweeping anything under the rug. It's not saying we don't love justice. But I mean, I think there's ways to do it. And it's just going to be some brave women who carry that mantle. That's right. I think that's going to be some really special leaders. Um, I'm hearing the whispers of that hope. Um, on the edges of this conversation and, um, and I hope they'll find their way to the, to the center, um, which as you mentioned, does not in any scenario look like abandoning justice, um, because there, there has to be a reckoning and there has to be consequences and, and yet to continue to push, because that's really where the transformation will come from when, when our whole society is transformed, not just behavior modification, or, mm-hmm. or just punishment, mm-hmm. but rather healing and transformation. So you, ma'am, had a pretty big honor recently. Like, it's so special that I can't even handle it because it's something that I love. I pay attention to every single year and I'm so moved by it. So you, you were nominated, um, within a group of people that CNN recognizes every year, CNN heroes. I mean, it's such a small group of world changers and they've named you in it. And it's so, it's so (laughs) special. It's such an honor, everyday people changing the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience um, and what that was like and how that has helped, if it has helped um, sort of even further the message of Thistle Farms? Sure. It was, thank you for even mentioning it. Cause it was really fun. It was fun to fly up to New York with your family and stay in a fancy hotel with nine other people who were doing great work. And they kept saying ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's like their mantra. And I'm telling you, everybody at CNN was so kind and nice to us and they treated us so well, but it kind of was what was really great was making friends with all the other people who were named the CNN heroes of the year. And then the crazy thing was that when you start hearing all their stories about all the people they serve and all the communities they serve, to me, it was like, um, you know, it was really um, what we, what all the organizations had in common is that we were serving extraordinary people doing really ordinary things like, you know, the young woman with cerebral palsy just trying to ride a horse or or the young people with cancer trying to go down a river in a raft or, um, you know, finding shelter for old dogs. And it was like really just so many communities doing just the most extraordinary people and doing the most ordinary things like loving each other and feeling hopeful and joyful. Mm-hmm. It made me feel better about the whole world. I love it. That's exactly how I feel when I watch CNN Heroes. I'm like, we're going to be okay. Yes. And the news is not just what comes on our feed. Yes, that's right. Exactly. There's so many, there's so much goodness just going in in the, going on in the margins of life, just outside of the spotlight, um, outside of, you know, the big stories. And I have to remind myself of that often, um, that what I am reading online doesn't necessarily 
um, mean that is what's going on everywhere. And, and, and I think CNN heroes is a great example of that. That's so exciting. I'm so happy (laughs) for you that they found you and highlighted your work. I hope that takes the message and the products of Thistle Farms to the ends of the earth. I mean, I really would love to see that just be an enormous windfall for your company. So, okay, Becca, we're going to wrap this up. These are some questions we're doing for everybody in this series, all the women in this series. So here's the first one. Let's say we've got a listener and it's a woman. She's got an idea. She has a longing. She has a desire for something, to create something, to change something, to start something new, whatever it is. Uh, Maybe she's single, maybe she's married with kids, maybe young, maybe older, it doesn't matter. Um, But what she feels is that she doesn't have enough. She doesn't have enough time. She doesn't have enough resources. She's not enough of a force to get this going. Um, What would you tell her? I would tell her, okay, so What I would tell that woman that feels in some way lacking or inadequate, whether finances, time, power, and all that stuff, is that I'm a huge believer in communal vision, that I don't believe that we do it on our own. You know, it's never, that's never been the story. I mean, the reason that women gather and, um, you know, we want to wash clothes together down by the river and we want to can beans together and we want to build things together. I mean, there is a reason for that because all of us carry some of those fears in us. So people can have individual visions and you don't have to then design by committee, but you can gather people, you know, to really share the burden and share the joy and share the load. And so just in my mind, the first thing you said about your practices for, um, healing on a daily way was you had a close circle. And so I would say the very first thing is to have a trusted close circle and to be able to speak your truth about what the dream is and Mm. see where it carries you. Mm, That's great. I've never done a single meaningful thing that did not have the fingerprint of other people on it. Never. Oh, I know. Not one in my life. So um, that's the truest and best advice I can possibly think of. So, okay, here's the next one. You've been really successful and you have, and you're known of course, for what you've built. And, um, so outside of the practices that you mentioned already, is there any other way that you have found to stay really sort of true to yourself, just apart from your identity with Thistle Farms or as a leader or as a CNN hero, or, you know, the, the beautiful and well-earned titles that you have, um, is there anything else that you do just to dial it in and keep it like, this is Becca? I do not take myself too seriously ever. That's one of my gifts. Like, like, you know, like just saying, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what do they call it? This isn't rocket surgery. Um, Yes. You know, like, don't, don't take yourself that seriously. That's good. Because I think it's like when you start thinking, like you start thinking you are the persona or you are, you have to be a spiritual guru or you Mm -hmm. have to do whatever you will make yourself, you know, really unpeaceful. <laughs> the, um, yes. You know, but I mean, like I spent enough years with small kids and pastoring a church and running a business and, mm. you know, and I found myself like everything was trying to make me crazy. People yes. were like, you're not Christian enough. You're too right. Christian. You're oh, yeah. this, you're this, you're this. And it was like, okay, I'm not spinning all these plates. I'm just gonna let them fall to the ground, crash and just eat off paper plates for a while. 
you know, just don't take it like where it's all so precious and serious. Oh, it's so good. Can you tell the whole world that? <laughs> Can we just disseminate that message to everybody that's alive? Um, wouldn't that just get, wouldn't that take a yoke, a burden off all of our necks? Yes. We just, we're so precious about every little thing. My gosh. Some things can just drop right to the ground. They can just drop right, right to the ground. Um, I love that. Okay, here's the last one. We ask everybody this. This is um, a Barbara Brown Taylor question. Um, and it can be... This love can, her. Oh, don't you? She's one of my favorite people. I, I, I'm such a wild, like wordy, loud, noisy person. So having somebody that's contemplative and introspective and wise and grounded. I reach for those leaders because they're the opposite of me. <laughs> um, so she asked a question and you can answer it. It could be serious or silly. It could be big. It could be small. Um, I just want to say one thing about Barbara Brown Taylor is that I had to do a book signing next to her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. And she had this huge line. Right. And so the only thing I could think to do was start taking selfies with her. <laughs> it's the only sane response. Well, was the, I couldn't just walk over there and stand beside her. Like there was nobody at my booth. So I felt like I needed an activity. So I looked like I was doing something. And after like the third selfie of me being silly with Barbara Taylor while she was trying to sell books, it, she was just, she was so patient with me. But I was like, nobody's asking me to sign the book. <laughs> I'm just going to stand here with you and, and hi, we're on Snapchat. Um, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. I would have exactly zero chill like that as well. And so I like hearing that you did that. I sometimes what I, what I reach for in moments like that, I'm like, Jen, Jen, what are you doing? Um, anyway, this is one thing that BBT says, uh, what is saving your life right now? Oh my gosh. This is going to be so hokey. It's okay. This it can be really hokey. Hokey. Up. We, we receive hokey. You have caught me um, on a year where I am in the biggest upswing on my husband. Mm, I don't know what that means. What does that I mean? mean I'm crazy in love with him. That's cute. Isn't that crazy? 30 years that. of marriage. And I'm like, uh, he several times this year, you know, I'm on the road a lot yeah. and I have gotten kind of lonely. Mm. And it's beautiful. And I love, I go out with a team of women and we get to talk about hopeful things. Sure. And I could not be more grateful for every bit of the work mm. and sharing the message and doing this work. And I've, but I mean, just sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I am going home to the finest man I know. And we love each other. And it's like, I'll call him at the airport. <laughs> I quit that. doing that when we had kids. It was like, I don't want to call because they want me to pick up something on the way home. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's amazing and true. And uh, now um, we're, you know, our kids are still with us, but it's like, yeah. um, I just have this freedom that I haven't had. And I'm in, I'm desperately in love with my husband. Oh, that is so dear. I love that so much. You're one click ahead of us. My husband and I have been married for 24 years and mm. we have five kids, but four of them still live here. So, you know, we're still in the weeds. We're still like not calling from airports because I don't want to get milk. Um, right. So, but I just love hearing that. Brandon and I dream a lot about our phase next, our next phase yeah. and how excited we are to embrace it and we're not dreading it. And I think that's going to be the most fun marriage season ever. Just how old are your kids? They're my la our last one is a senior in high school. Yep. Yep. And, but the um, other one, you know, is an art major at college. So I'm sure that means he's moving home in May. <laughs>
You know, and our uh, oldest one is this beautiful, beautiful, like I said, musician, Levi Hummond, who's streaming yeah. millions of songs. They're I mean, doing great. And it's just really tough out there. So he he is just now um, he's just now gotten his own place just down the road. But we're all pretty we're a tight family. I love it. When you said your family is yeah. your thing, it's like, yeah, I love that so much. And and anyway. That's so true. Yeah, so that's what saves me. That is what is saving me. Oh, that's so dear. Okay, listen, can you just tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your beautiful company and all that? You don't mean my home address. No, unless you want to share it. <laughs> I do want you to give me your cell phone number, though, and I'm not going to let you get off this phone before I get it. So. Okay, so my um, so people can find us. We are our manufacturing office is located on Charlotte Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee, and everything's right on the website. Yeah. The sister communities are all over the country, Love and it. you can look at those on the website. And our our global partners all over the world mm. are on the website. And the website is thistlefarms.org. Easy, easy enough. And listen to everybody listening. We will have all of these links in the transcript, everything about Becca, her book, her company products, all of it. We're going to have everything at your fingertips. If you are driving and you weren't able to write it all down, don't you worry about it. And also though, I just need to say that, you know, your following is so impressive and amazing and they are making a difference and they're making noise out there mm-hmm. and we're all hearing it. And to be a part of that story and to have um, this opportunity is huge and it will save women's lives. Mm, thank you. My my community of women, they are fierce. They are loyal. They are committed. And it's so true. They, they make a lot of noise. They bang a lot of drums. And it's such a joy to do it. It's so great. And nothing makes me happier than putting a company like yours and a leader like you in front of them, because I know how much um, they are going to love you and get behind your work. And so listen, thanks for coming on today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for making this world a more beautiful place and putting so much beauty into ugly spaces. And it's just been so fun to talk to you. I'm so happy, so happy that we have finally met. Me too. Peace out. Peace out. (laughs) Don't you just love her? Don't you wish you could just sit on the couch with her and let her talk to you for hours with tea? Fabulous, fabulous human being. I loved that conversation. Guys, everything that we talked about today, I will have linked over on the transcript, which is over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. And that is a fabulous resource for you anyway. I hope you're using it on the regular. We fill that page with links and bonus content and pictures and everything you could possibly want out of every single episode. So that is a great resource and I hope you're using it. And I hope you loved our conversation today. I absolutely did. This series is fascinating, guys. We have more amazing women coming your way in the Women Who Built It series. And so you're definitely going to want to tune back in next week um, as we keep our foot on the gas, highlighting these women who are doing amazing work, changing the world, changing the story for women in business. It's just phenomenal. So anyhow, thanks for being loyal listeners. Thank you for coming in week in and week out and for subscribing and reviewing and all the wonderful things that you do. We are so here for it and so here for you. So you guys have a great week and see you next time. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. 
Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.